Well, church, I wanted you to see this morning, I, I want to show you a conversation that you and I have with the Lord every single day. So I'm going to ask you to watch this clip. Can I ask you a question? Am I out of focus? You're fine. Yeah, but I mean, look at me, I'm all, I'm all blurry. Well, you're supporting cast. What? The camera focuses on the most important character, which is me. Well, what if my character had a big reveal? Like what? Like maybe I'm the killer. Are you? Yeah. No. Well, we are not happy until we come into focus, are we? And I love what Paul does here. As, as you think about your life, your um, uh, self-directed movie, who's the main character? Who takes the lead role? Is it you or is it Jesus? And so what Paul does in Colossians chapter 1 is he focuses on Jesus, really the whole book of Colossians. He focuses on Jesus. The camera's focused on Jesus. Then he zooms out to include us. He doesn't focus on himself. He doesn't focus on you. He doesn't focus on me. He doesn't focus on the Colossian believers and then zoom out to include Jesus. No, he focuses on Jesus. Then he zooms out to include us. Let, let me show you what I mean. If you look at verse 15, I'm going to read 15 through 20. And for every he, him, his, I'm going to replace it with the name Jesus because that's who this is referring to. So, You'll catch on. Verse 15. Jesus, and I want you to pay attention to how he's focused on Jesus, but he, he zooms out to include creation, to include the church, include the cross. So watch this. Verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. And then look at the next two words in the next verse. And you. <laughs> he goes from, he switches in the pronouns. Third person to second person. He, him, himself, he is to you. He includes us. See, we do play a role in the redemptive story. We're the supporting cast. We're not the main character. <laughs> but we do play a role. Paul emphasizes this role elsewhere, like in 2 Corinthians 5.20. 
uh, Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ. He doesn't say Christ is the ambassador of us, but we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says. We pleadingly ask you. We beg you. We urge you with a sense of urgency on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. So we do have a supporting cast as ambassadors of Christ, calling people to reconcile to Christ. So today I want to speak to you on the subject, the punctuation of reconciliation. Why is it so critical that you and I are punctual in our reconciliation? Not only vertically must we be reconciled to God, but once we're vertically reconciled, then we got to be punctual in reconciling horizontally with each other, with one another. So why is this important? Why is the punctuality of reconciliation important. I want to point out four reasons. The first one is in verse 21. Look there with me. And the first one I've worded this way, and you, comma, once alienated. Once alienated. And you, once alienated. Here's how Paul says it. Verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I know you've heard it said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. You heard that said before? I think a more accurate statement is, yeah, God has a picture of you, but it's not on his refrigerator. It's on his most wanted fugitive poster. Why? Because you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. So Paul says, look, once... You were alienated. Now the word once here, we need to think of it as the word before. So this is our before picture. <laughs> before Christ, this is what we look like, and it's ugly. Ugly, ugly, ugly. It doesn't look good on us to be alienated from God. That word alienated means to be excluded, to be cut off from the life of God, to be cut off from the corporate life of the church, to be estranged from God, to be um, aimless or absent or a non-participant in, in, in the glory of God and in his kingdom and, and, and we're cut off when we're outside of Christ we're alienated and these Colossian believers before Christ they worship false gods and, and they participate in these rituals that would never and could never remove their sin until behold they put their faith in the one Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away their sin who removes their sin but prior to that they were alienated they were separated from God without Christ you and I are alienated separated from God in fact outside of Christ there is nothing that can keep you from being alienated from God nothing but once you're in Christ there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord so Christ is the center. He's the focus. He's the hero. He's the main character. And Paul makes it clear. Yeah, you played a role in this reconciliation, but your role was you were, were alienated. You, you were separated. And that led to something else. You were hostile in mind, which means to be uh, at enmity with someone. 
A conscious antagonism toward God. Literally to be at war with God. So it's not like outside of Christ we're just, okay God, you do your thing, leave me alone. I'll do my thing, I'll leave you alone. It's more than that. When we're outside of Christ, not only are we alienated from Him, but we're, we declare war on God outside of Christ. We're in opposition to God. We are enemies of God. And yet, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. That's how much God loves us. But for the unbelieving, that their minds have been blinded, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this is what's happening. We're alienated. We're separated from God. That leads us to being hostile in mind, hating God, making war with God, being in opposition to God. James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that a friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So this is vicious cycle of being separated and alienated. Then we get hostile in mind. We, 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 we declare war on God. And then we do evil deeds is what Paul says here. Doing evil deeds. We're expressing evil in actions. We're taking those seeds that Satan plants in our minds. These ideas and these ungodly thoughts about God. And, 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 and we, we act them out. We put action to them. And this is the vicious cycle that unbelievers are in. That as an unbeliever you are in. Or if you're an unbeliever now, you are in. It's this vicious cycle of alienation, separation, hostility, and doing evil deeds. And the more evil deeds we do, the more angry we are with God, the more separated we are from God. And it's just this ongoing, never-ending condition of being separated and alienated from God. It's a tragic situation. And that's our before picture. It's not very pretty. In fact, it's quite ugly. And we get outside of Christ into this mindset of looking for satisfaction everywhere and can't find it anywhere. I, was, I was, heard a research study done about this. These people that received a raise at work and how long it took for the uh, allure of that raise to wear off, the satisfaction of that raise to wear off. It took two weeks. Two weeks, <laughs> and they wanted something more. Two weeks, that, that's who we are outside of Christ. We're never satisfied. We, we, we embrace the monster of more, 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 more. And it's this vicious, vicious cycle. Sin is so destructive. And, and the problem is we don't see our sin as serious. And it is so destructive. The story goes like this that the great artist, Leonardo da Vinci, when he decided to create his masterpiece, The Last Supper, he needed somebody to sit for him to paint the face of Jesus. Couldn't find anybody. He was looking for somebody, you know, that was, uh, uh, was um, young and someone who just had this look about them, and he found this young man who was singing in a choir named Pietro Bandinelli. And, and he hired him to sit as he painted the face of Jesus. Well, years passed and, and the, the, the painting was not yet finished. 
It only lacked one thing. Needed to pay needed to, to paint the face of Judas. He couldn't find anybody to paint that, that would sit for him so he could paint this face because it says he needed a face that, that bore the marks of sin and the toil that sin had had on them. So he found a young man and he sat for him and he painted the face of Judas and when he was done he was paying the young man and he asked him his name. He said, I am Pietro Bandinelli. Same guy. Just there were years of sin in between those two sittings of being painted the face of Jesus and the face of Judas. This is how destructive sin really is. It destroys and it ruins. And our problem is we don't see our sin as serious. Say, Pastor, my sin's not that serious. Listen, church, if your sin and my sin and our sin is not that serious, then Jesus is not that much of a Savior. He's just not. We see sin everywhere, so we don't see it anywhere. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Constantly, every day, every day, you need to remind yourself that you were once alienated from God. You were once hostile in mind. You were once doing evil deeds. We need to remind ourselves of the seriousness of sin. How destructive it truly is. This world makes no sense. Anybody agree with that? January has been January for 10 years. When is January going to end? I think tomorrow's January, isn't it? Just keeps going. This world, you look at it, it just doesn't make any sense. The only way this world will ever make any sense is to look at this world and understand and believe in the seriousness of sin. That's why we're in the shape we're in. Sin. Alienation from God, hostility, at war with God, doing evil deeds. This is why this is so beautiful. Listen to this. Talk about going from, from Jesus to Judas. and Listen to what the Jesus did. Listen. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. You need to remind yourself every day that you once were alienated. Here's a second reason that this reconciliation is so critical. Number two, but God reconciled. But God reconciled. We once alienated, but God reconciled. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he reconciled. Uh, verse number 22, first part of the verse. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh. Somebody say flesh. In his body of flesh. Now remember, these false teachers are teaching there's no way God came in the flesh because the flesh is evil. The spirit is good. Therefore, there's no way God put on flesh. No way. Paul's saying there, absolutely, absolutely he did. Because he reconciled us in his body of flesh. Somebody say flesh. By his death. I don't know if anybody, has, has anybody, I, I just recently, I don't know how new it is, but 
a couple weeks ago, I started playing this game called Wordle. Anybody know what Wordle is? Anybody? W-O-R-D-L-E. Okay, this is a game that you get six chances to guess the word of the day. The word of the day is five letters. It changes every day. Every day there's a new word. And you can go to the website and do it once a day to guess this five-letter word. And so your first guess, uh, it's like a six columns of, or six rows of six columns of, of five-letter words. So you guess the first time. And if there's a letter in the word that you guess that's in the word of the day, it'll be green or tan. And green means it's in that exact spot in the word of the day. Tan means it's in the word somewhere. So you get to kind of strategize and you get six chances to guess the word of the day. Well, a pastor friend of mine tweeted this the other day. He said, when the word of the day on Wordle becomes flesh, literally F-L-E-S-H, Christians will be short-circuited, right? (laughs) When the word on Wordle is flesh. Why? Because the word became flesh. He dwelt among us. He put on this flesh. He lived a life we could never live. He did what we could never do. And he went to the cross. And he died for your sins and mine. And Paul reminds us he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh. He has done this. You have not reconciled yourself. God is the one that does the reconciling. He has taken it upon himself. He takes the initiative. God first loved us. That's why we can love one another. God takes the initiative. And what happens in verse 22 is it reverses what is the reality in verse 21. You were alienated, now you're reconciled. God takes what we couldn't do and he does it. We're alienated. We cannot become friends of God on our own, so he reconciles us. He reverses the alienation through his reconciliation. Completely and fully reconciled to God. The Bible says this, for If while we were enemies of God, uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by His life? And not only reconciled, notice the next phrase here, in His body of flesh. That reverses our hostility in mind. In His body of flesh, Jesus laid down His life for his friends, not his enemies. He laid down his life, and all who believe in him cease to be an enemy of God and become a friend of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you've been healed. This is what happened in his body of flesh. By his death, God's reconciliation was severe. Jesus, God the Son, died on the cross. God the Father didn't die on the cross. God the Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross. The Son The second person of the Trinity died on the cross for you and for me. And his death has reversed our doing evil deeds. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So all this is reversed at the cross. All this is reversed in the gospel. We've been reconciled to God. No no longer enemies, but friends of God. No longer alienated, but now reconciled to God. So we need to think and remember that Jesus is not uh, our mascot, church. He's not the cheerleader of the church. He is the savior of the world. He's the liberator of the lost. He is the only savior for all nations. Every tribe, language, nation, and tongue has one savior. There's not one savior for India, then a different savior for Africa, then a different savior for America. There's one savior. 
It doesn't matter what generation or nation you live in. There's one Savior, and His name is Jesus. And God has reconciled us to Himself by the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus. We, once alienated, now reconciled. This is why this is so critically important. Here's the third reason that this reconciliation is so critical, and we must be punctual in it. Look at number three, second part of verse 22. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I love the language present, and at least to our third reason, new you presented. There's a new you presented in Christ. This language of presented reminds me of, of a bride being presented to her husband on her wedding day, right? She goes through quite the transformation, doesn't she? I mean, she, a lot goes on when she's getting ready for a wedding. She's transformed. In the same way, we're transformed and presented as holy, blameless, above reproach. David Platt shared an illustration about getting married. He said, look, you find the the guys, you find the lady, you fall in love with her, you, you're going to ask her to marry you. Do you ask her to marry you, or do you send somebody else to do it? Of course you don't. You go and do it, right? This is what God has done. He himself bore our sins on the tree. He himself. He showed up, and he told us he loved but he showed us he loved us. A new you presented the bride of Christ presented to the bridegroom by the bridegroom Christ to the Father. And can I tell you, I'm so excited I get to tell you this today. Jesus, the Christ, will never divorce his bride. Never. We are presented as holy, blameless, above reproach so this is the one he is presenting you you were alienated now Christ presents you as adopted by God uh, you were blameful before God now he presents you as blameless oh you, you were unforgiven but he presents you as forgiven you were guilty he presents you as not guilty you were separated from God he presents you as set apart for God you are a child of Satan. He presents you as a child of God. Again, he's the one doing the presenting. He's the one doing the reconciling. Not you, not me, but him. And positionally, we're presented as holy. That just means set apart. And, and, and so positionally, our position changes. We are in Christ. That is a position. Believers in Christ... It's not that we no longer sin. We're sinners. We're going to sin. But when you're in Christ, you're no longer in sin. Our position has changed. We're now holy. We're now set apart for God. But remember, these false teachers are saying, hey, we have a license to do whatever we want to because, again, this flesh is evil, but the Spirit is good. So we can't help what we do in the flesh because it's evil, so we can go do what we want to do. Paul says, no, no, no. You are holy. You're set apart. You're to be blameless, above reproach blameless that is without blemish can you imagine this what God knows everything you think he knows everything you do he knows everything you say he knows everything you look at and you listen to he knows all of it 
Yet when he looks at you, he sees none of it. He sees Jesus. He sees you without blemish. He sees you without wrinkle or stain. It's amazing. Same word is used to talk about the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they'd have to present their their sacrificial animal, lamb. They'd have to present them as blem- without blemish, without stain, without wrinkle. You couldn't find anything wrong with them at all. That's how God sees us. <laughs> That's how He sees us. It seems as if Tom Brady is going to retire, the greatest of all time, for sure. In a lot of ways, he's done a lot of things a lot of players have never done and will never do. But I read one stat recently that reminded me of just how flawed we can really be. Uh, Tom Brady has thrown the ball uh, 11,317 times. He's only, and I use that with quotes, only thrown 624 touchdowns. That's the most anybody's ever thrown. But if you do the math there, That means that the greatest of all time, 95% of the time, did not throw a touchdown pass. That's not that great, is it? It's just not that great. See, we have an accuser, Satan, and he is accusing us. He is offering up accusation after accusation after accusation. But the Bible says here we've been presented above reproach, which means free from accusation. Aren't you so grateful that we're not measured by the standards of this world, by the standards of man, that God, when he sees us, he sees Christ? Blameless, holy, free from accusation. This is why it's so critically important that we are punctual in this ministry of reconciliation. Not only to be reconciled vertically, but horizontally. So here's the last one, number four. We see it in the second part, verse 23 here. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So number four is simply this, now what? Now what do we do? All right, we were alienated. Now we've been reconciled. We've been presented new, holy, blameless, above reproach. Now what do we do? We're not in heaven right now. God hadn't taken me to heaven yet. What what do I do now? What we do now is we've been now given the ministry of reconciliation. It's been given to us. It's been given to you. It's been given to me. It's been given to Paul. Paul says at the end of this verse, he says, I, Paul, became a minister. I, Paul, became a minister. You and I are responsible for the ministry of reconciliation. It's been given to us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know the most difficult people to reconcile with are, 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 is your family, right? Those closest to you. It's so difficult to reconcile with family members. Reminds me of a husband and wife. They're just going at it. And she says, look, you've never liked anybody in my family. And he said, that's not true. I like your mother-in-law a lot more than I like my mother-in-law. You know, Paul had a, he had a thorn in the flesh, right? 
But yet he still became a minister of reconciliation. The thorn in your flesh may be a relative. Maybe somebody that's a strain. And you know who they are. You know exactly who they are. The Holy Spirit has brought them right to your attention today. You know who they are. And yet Paul says, I have become a minister of reconciliation, a minister of the gospel. Now, this word minister does not mean an ordained pastor. That's not, that's not at all what it means. It means servant. It means a helper, a waiter, somebody who waits on you and serves you. It literally means a courier, somebody that delivers something, somebody that carries something, a courier. We are couriers of the gospel. We are deliverers and messengers and servants and helpers and waiters serving people with the gospel. We are carriers of the ministry of reconciliation. We have something that you can't find on Google. We've got something you cannot order from Amazon and it can't be delivered by FedEx. You are the deliverer. You are the courier of the gospel. Paul says, I have become a courier. I have become a servant of this good gospel. And if the gospel has come to you, it's come to you because it's on its way to somebody else. That's why it came to you. You're a courier and a carrier of the gospel. That's the answer to the question, now what? Now, you may look at this verse and say, well, wait a minute. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith. Is that a conditional statement? Paul is not suggesting that you can lose your salvation. He's not suggesting that you have to continue in the faith in order to be saved. We're not saved by continuing in the faith. We continue in the faith because we're saved. Don't get that twisted. Paul is saying that we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, immovable. God has called us to be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Understanding that our labor is in the Lord is never in vain. So be like a house on a foundation, stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That was the problem here. They saw the shiny new religion out there, this uh, knowledge and Gnosticism that was being fed them by these false teachers that said, hey, you have to go above Jesus to get all knowledge. Paul says, no, all wisdom and knowledge is in Christ. But they're preaching this new, this new shiny object out there that are, that, that, that are drawing the, the, the Colossians' sight and minds and heart away from the, shifting them from the gospel. Paul says, do not shift from the gospel. The true gospel that you heard. And what is that gospel? It, it's the gospel that Paul says is the, that Jesus died according, died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and raised to life according to the scripture. That Christ died in your place and mine. Was buried and raised to life to give anybody eternal life who will believe in him. This is the gospel. Don't shift away from that and follow this false teaching of Gnosticism. Or this false teaching of this prosperity gospel that's sweeping the world today. Or this, this new shiny term out there called deconstruction. There's people deconstructing their faith. YouTubers that are popular uh, who formerly professed to be Christians, some of them have now 
deconstructed their faith and they're doubting and they're rejecting the, the, the tenets of our faith. Like, for example, they're replacing creationism with evolution. God is clear here. There is a creator who created creation. I love what one pastor said. He said it like this. Your ancestors did not climb out of goo. They did not go through the zoo and eventually become you. That did not happen. God created creation. And the creator's Jesus. You were made in the image of God. God made you. Yet this deconstruction that's real popular today, this deconstruction, they says, well, wait a minute, what about evolution? And I don't think Adam and Eve really lived. And oh yeah, Adam and Eve really lived. Just open your eyes and look around. So that's where sin came from. It's the first man and first woman sinned against God. And so our world's in the shape it's in. And this deconstruction of faith is, is something that we're dealing with today. Why do so many young men and women leave the church, go to college, and don't come back to the church? They're deconstructing their faith. That's why it's critical. I, I believe in my heart that we are, of course, every day that goes by we get closer to the end. I get that. But I believe we're in the days of Isaiah and in the days of Jude. In Isaiah, the Bible says that there'll come a day when we call good evil and evil good. I read about a judge somewhere in America who sentenced a convicted child molester, 26 years old, a transgender sentenced him to two years in, in a juvenile facility. And that is not justice, church. That's calling evil good and good evil. I also believe we're in the days of Jude, where it says contend for the faith. I believe the book of Jude is the answer to the deconstructing of faith. And this is the days we're living in. We're not far removed from the Colossian believers who were seeing all these new shiny objects and Shifted away from the hope of the gospel. There's one gospel. There's one hope for the whole world. It, well, it's what's been proclaimed under heaven in all creation. And Paul says, I became a minister of this great gospel. See, God wrote this word so you and I could tote this word. Tote it in our hearts. Tote it on our lips. Point people to Christ. Pray for boldness, opportunity, and compassion to fulfill this ministry. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. So here's our takeaway today. Here it is. The reconciled must seek reconciliation. If you're reconciled to God, you need to be seeking. If you're reconciled vertically, you need to seek reconciliation horizontally with friends and family and coworkers and classmates and go down the list. You need to seek that reconciliation. Now, I understand reconciliation takes two people, right? Not one, but two. Forgiveness takes one. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness is one. Reconciliation is two. I know this. God knows this. I assure you, God knows this. <laughs> Jesus has done all that is necessary to reconcile you to God. He's done his part. However, the Bible says many will reject him and choose the road of destruction, 
So God knows. You say, well, what if I do my part and they don't do their part? Well, that's going to happen. Yes, it will happen. It will continue to happen. But that's not any of your concern. You need to do your part in reconciling. Do your part. God will take care of the rest. God knows what it feels like to do everything necessary to reconcile and be rejected. Many will do just that to him. So take heart. Don't be afraid. Do your part in reconciling. The first step you need to do is make sure Jesus is first place in your life. Make sure he's the lead role and the main character in your conversation, in your thoughts, in your relationships, in your family, in your marriage. Make sure he's in first place. Some of you, you can't put him in first place until you first place your faith in him. So come to Christ today. Again, he's done it all. All you have to do is turn from your sin and put your faith in him. Maybe you've never done that. And for the first time today, it has clicked. The light has come on in your heart and mind. And you're, being, you're, you're feeling this drawing from the Holy Spirit. Saying to you, it's time for you to be reconciled vertically. So come to faith in Christ today. We'll pray in a moment and I'll show you, show you just how you can do that. For those of us that have done that, now we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. So we're required to reconcile horizontally. It's not a request. It's a requirement. It's not an option. It's an order. Reconcile. Father, we love you and we praise you today for the opportunity we have to reconcile with you, to be reconciled to you. You've done everything necessary, God. There's nothing left to do on your end to reconcile every lost sinner to you. Every person within the sound of my voice today has the opportunity today to no longer be alienated from God, from you, but to be reconciled through the cross, through the death, through the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. God, I can't see anybody's heart. I don't know if they're reconciled. I can't see that. But God, you see everything. You see everyone. So if there's one person in this place, in person or online, say, man, I have never been reconciled to God. I implore you. I pleadingly ask you. I beg you. I urge you with urgency. Be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Just pray something like this. Father, I know I'm separated from you because of my sin. But Jesus has come to bring me to you through his cross. I believe that. I trust in him. Forgive me and save me. Oh, you cry out on the name of Jesus and God will save you. Cry out, help me, save me, rescue me, reconcile me. He'll do it today. He'll do it now. And if that's you, we want, we want to hear from you. We want you to let us know about this decision you've made. Most important decision of your entire life. So text the name Jesus to 79969 and let us know. Church, for those of us who have been reconciled to God, every one of us has somebody in our life that we've yet to reconcile with. Every one of us. There's not a person alive today that hasn't experienced an estranged relationship, someone they've had a falling out with, we all have. So here's the challenge. 
whoever the Holy Spirit brings to your heart and mind. I ask you to pray for them today. You can pray for them right where you are. You can come to these steps and pray over them. But you pray for this week to God to give you an opportunity, the boldness and compassion to take that step toward reconciliation. God took the initiative. God expects his children to take the initiative. It's on you through the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill this ministry of reconciliation. Do your part. Do your part.